Red Rocks Church, how are we doing? Good? Now, start it over. How are we doing, Red Rocks? Good? That's what I'm... It's a good weekend to be alive. The weather is about as perfect as it gets in Denver. Do you guys not agree? It's amazing. Broncos are playing this weekend. Come on. Our uh, fearless leader, Sean Johnson, is uh, preaching to them as I speak right now. So I believe he's going to preach them into a victory in their pregame uh, chapel this evening. So, Sean, don't screw it up. I'm 1-0, just saying. But whatever. Do with it what you want. Hey, here's the deal. <laughs> yeah. We're in a little competition. We've been for 20 years. Um, it's going to be an awesome weekend at church. It will not be awesome if we don't greet everyone at all of our campuses. So every campus in the Denver metro area, of course, we love y'all. And can we do this? Can we give such a gracious round of applause for the men and women at God Behind Bars every weekend that we get to worship with you? It's a gift. We love you guys. And then we got new family and they're long distance family. And so they need more love than ever for our friends and family members across the pond. Can we give it up for our Brussels campus? We love you guys. Welcome, Brussels. Nothing but love for you. I want to do this before we get started. I want us to pray again at all our campuses, and I just want to remind you guys, we serve a God for whatever reason in his infinite wisdom, he chose to respond to his, his creation via expectancy. It's a faith issue. God loves, the Bible says it pleases the Lord when we walk in faith, and, and an attribute of faith is expectancy. It's coming here and, and forcing yourself, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you walked in with this weekend, it's forcing yourself to say, you you know what? I'm here to learn about God. I'm here to worship God. I'm here to bring glory to God. And I'm here to get fired up to go back out into the real world and be the church, which we're supposed to do, right? And so here's what I want to do. Yeah, we can clap. <laughs> Such a non-committal clapping church. All of our campuses, I guarantee you, like, oh, should we? Oh, you clap? Okay, right, great. Let's do this. Let's just ask God. Let's just, let's just believe God this weekend is going to do some incredible transformation in our hearts. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, the, I get emotional thinking about your word because it has changed my life, God. It has made me so much more the person, God, that you destined me to be, and I could not have done it without your word. And we're about to open it up, God, and it is holy, and it is beautiful, and it transforms. And I'm asking right now, God, in these next few minutes that your word would yet again transform our hearts through the, the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus, that you would just be uh, with every single one of us, that, that mercy would be felt, that conviction would be beautiful, and God, that your word would go forth. God, prepare us for what you have for us, and it's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we have this incredible ministry at Red Rocks Church, and it meets every Friday night at the Littleton campus, I think at 7 p.m., and it's called Celebrate Recovery. Any of you guys ever heard of Celebrate Recovery? It is an incredible program. We're hoping someday to have it at all of our campuses, but it's exactly what the title says it is. It's a place for people to come and be in a, a community of love and mercy and accountability when they're going through some recovery from some type of addiction. They meet every Friday night, but what you guys also probably don't know is we have Celebrate Recovery at every campus on Saturdays and on Sundays. And guess what? You're sitting in it right now because all of us are in recovery from something, right? All of us are, that's the redemption story. All of us are recovering from something and all of us got some messes that God is putting back together by his grace. And so all of us at all of our campuses, we could in essence be like, hi, my name is Chad and I'm blah, and everyone's like, hi, Chad, right? We could all go down the line and do that. 
Now, I'm currently about nine years into recovery from something that literally tried to destroy my life. And when I tell you what it is, you're going to think I'm joking because of what it is. And you're going to think I'm being melodramatic or overdramatic for the sake of the message. But I'm going to talk about it this whole weekend. And I hope by the end you go, oh, I actually think that could destroy my life if it's something that I'm letting take hold of my heart. And for me, it wasn't a heroin addiction or, or an alcohol addiction. A lot of people in Celebrate Recovery, it's a, it's a gambling thing where they lost all their money and they lost their family and everything they had. For some people, it's a sexual addiction issue that they come to, to get help with. And it's all the stuff that we would, we, would, we would tell great stories of at Red Rocks Church on the weekend. My story wouldn't get played, but, but here's what it is. I've been in recovery for the last nine years from this thing called pessimism. And I don't know if any of you are with me on that or if any of you struggle with that, but the older I've gotten both physically but also the older I've gotten spiritually in my relationship with Christ, the more I've started to see how absolutely destructive this attitude of cynicism is. And what I've started to see and what's blown me away is how many people in the body of Christ actually not only struggle with this attitude but actually have turned it into something noble, something they think that's right. Nine years ago was when I realized there was time for a change because before we had any money, before y'all were dropping any money in the bucket, we couldn't get paid to work here. I'm kidding. None of you were here yet. You guys are awesome. But uh, we, we, we had to go out and get other jobs. And so I worked for a guy who started this kind of used Motorola refurbishing thing on eBay where he bought a bunch of equipment. We cleaned it up and he resold it for more. And uh, there was three of us when I started working there. And the guy I worked for, his name's Dave, and he's awesome. We're friends to this day. And he's just just an incredible entrepreneur. And he took this tiny little business that he started as a hobby in his garage, and now he's making like a couple million dollars a year, like in, off eBay stuff. It's amazing. And what would happen is I, I, I was the grunt man for him. I would work out in the warehouse, um, and I would just do whatever he told me to do, all kinds of jobs. And I really liked Dave, and I actually really liked my job, even though I was just the grunt man. But what would happen is Dave was always making money, always on his phone, just constantly doing deals. And every now and then something would go wrong, and I would come into the office area, and I'd be like, hey, hey, Dave, I'm sorry to bother you on the phone, but we got a problem back here. And every time, instinctually, instantly, he'd be like this. He'd be like, uh, Jim, give me a minute real quick. Uh, Chad, no problems. Just opportunities, man. Just opportunities. <laughs> All right, Jim. Now, about that big deal, we're, you know, right? I, I mean, the, the, the warehouse could be on fire, and I'd walk in. Dave, get off the phone. The warehouse is on fire. Hey, John, give me a minute real quick. No fires, just opportunities, man. Figure it out. Anyways, about that million-dollar deal, John. All right, you know, and I'm back there working for minimum wage, trying to put out, right? But he, at one point, it's like God spoke to my heart so powerfully because see, Dave, Dave, Dave doesn't believe the way I believe. And at one point, as, as a pessimist and someone who even thought to some degrees that was an appropriate attitude and a noble attitude, God said, you're working for a guy who I want you to be a witness to. I want you to be salt and light and grace to him. And he's got a better attitude than you do about life. He's got a better approach to life than you have, Chad. And it was at that moment that I realized, man, pessimism is destructive. And do you want to know why it's not melodramatic to stand up here and say, I'm in recovery from pessimism, even though it doesn't get top billing, like the drug rehab stories and all the other great stories of redemption? The reason why it's such a powerfully important thing to talk about in this battle of life, since we're in this series called Battle Tested, is because cynicism, pessimism, skepticism are deadly attitudes. And here's why. Number one, they're socially acceptable. 
kind of like gluttony. You get a free pass in our country. And I think most countries around the world, if you're cynical, if you're skeptical about everything, if you're, if you're, if you're cynical and, and pessimistic about everything, I think a lot of people are not only with you, but they get it. But in the kingdom of God, it's not acceptable. And another reason I think it's so powerful and so destructive and so toxic to the soul is because a lot of people cloak pessimism in something noble, right? The Bible tells us in Proverbs, we're supposed to, above all else, guard our hearts, right? And I know as a recovering pessimism, this isn't theory for me. I'm speaking to you about what it's like. Here was my thinking all the time. It was like, hey, this is a protective measure. This is actually smart because here's what pessimists say all the time. Hope, hope, hope for the best, but expect what? Expect the worst, right? Expect the worst, hope for the best. Expect, for the, expect the worst, hope for the best. But in the kingdom of God, this is the only acceptable mindset. Expect the best, prepare for the best. Doesn't mean the best is going to happen all the time. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. We're doing a series called Battle Tested because in this world, anything that is good and any blessing that is from God, please hear me when I say this, any blessing that is from God will be contested. Trouble is not only inevitable in this lifetime, trouble, according to the word of God, is necessary. Listen to what James says. It won't come up on the screens, but he says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing, again, this series is called Battle Tested, the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. Now listen to the importance of perseverance. James goes on to say, perseverance must finish its work. It must so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Battle-tested soldiers are people who confront opposition and don't see it as an indictment, but instead, like Dave says, they see it as an opportunity, right? And that's what I want for every single one of us. Pessimism, and here's what's so powerful of it, and I experienced this firsthand, it's a slow and subtle fade into despair and dysfunction. I mean, you get, you get hooked on drugs, and, and pretty quickly, eventually, that's going to take over real fast, right? Some of you know. Like, it gives you a little season where it seems to be working real well, and then boom, destruction. Not, not pessimism. It is a slow and subtle drift into despair and into dysfunction, and we're going to talk about that as it relates to battles. I, I read some quotes and some thoughts on pessimism, and because, again, I'm recovering from it, I thought it was funny. You may not, but one of the quintessential lines of optimist is, 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 hey, everything happens for a reason, right? And I love that statement now. I used to hate that statement, right? Because the pessimist goes, well, I'll punch you in the face and we'll just say it was meant to be, <laughs> right? You guys remember the really optimistic Kelly Clarkson song? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Sorry, I'll quit singing, but but, but here's what a pessimist would say. This would be their song. What doesn't kill you will likely try again or slowly make you weaker till you die. <laughs> my mom is the consummate optimist. She's been this way my whole life, and I didn't grow up that way, and it would drive me nuts. I, it's one of my favorite things about her now, but back in the day, it drove me nuts. But there's this old school song. You all know it, and she'd sing it all the time when I woke up in a grumpy, pessimistic, cynical mood. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray, right? When that, well, that's the ultimate optimist song. You make me happy when skies are gray. Here's, here's, what I, here's what I would write. You are my sunshine, and by that, I mean you've damaged me in ways I won't know about for years. <laughs> Right? That's my natural bent. I'm not proud of that, but that's, that's me. 
I love this quote. It says, if you're going to borrow money, borrow it from a pessimist because they won't expect to get it back. <laughs> Something to think about. Another classic mindset of a warrior, someone battle-tested, an optimist is, I came, I saw, and I won't say the next part because we're in church, but you guys know where it goes. I kicked some butt, right? Came, I saw, I kicked some butt. This is the pessimist. I came, I saw, and I was just awkward, right? <laughs> and, and I wrote next to my notes, I said, Red Rocks Church, pessimism is always awkward. And here's why. It is not an attitude that God endorses or blesses. He never intended before the fall of mankind for pessimism to be a part of our spirits. He never intended for that to happen. You understand that? And so here's what I want to do. I want to go back and I want to look at an Old Testament story, a battle. Actually, it's a pre-battle. And in your message, if you're taking notes this week, I've titled it Recon. And here's why. In any great battle, one of the things that makes one army more effective than the other army, and if you guys serve time, you know this is 101. We all get this. This is basic. One of the most effective things isn't what you do in war. It's what you do before war, right? My brother says this to our staff all the time, and this is, he, it's one of his favorite lines when he's, when he's leading the staff. He says, guys, you can either sweat in preparation or bleed in battle. Take your pick. And you're going to bleed a little in battle, but, but here's the goal. The more you sweat in preparation, the less you'll probably bleed in battle. And so the reason I'm calling this recon is because we're about to see the ultimate recon story in the Old Testament, but it's going to teach us about the power of doing our due diligence, having our hearts prepared for any possible thing in life that might come our way so that our attitude can remain intact even when we're caught off guard by the enemy of our soul. Because you guys know there's an enemy out there, right? Listen to me. If you're newer to the faith, those of you at Brussels, listen to me. The Bible says that we have an enemy and he wants to kill you, steal from you, and destroy from you, right? The Bible says that our enemy is a liar and when he speaks, lying is his native language. All he does is tell you lies. The book of Revelation says that your enemy is an accuser. It's one of his most effective things he does is get you to accuse yourself and accuse other people to destroy relationships, that's the enemy. It says he's a roaring lion prowling around seeking for somebody that he can devour. This is who we're up against. But through the blood and through the cross of Jesus Christ, the good news is we've been given victory over our enemy. We've been given power through God over our enemy. And so we're going to look at the ultimate recon mission. And it's awesome. Let me give you some backdrop. Israel had just been saved out of the grasp of Egyptian slavery. It's in Numbers 13. If you have your Bibles, go there. If not, don't worry. Uh, it'll be up on the screens. They had just been rescued out. We call it saved, salvation, right? And here's what's interesting about them getting rescued is that all they did to participate in being saved by God as a nation was one thing. All they did was this, cry out. And God heard them. And then God did all the heavy lifting. The only participation they had in their salvation was just asking for salvation, crying out. And I would even theologically argue that the faith and the understanding they had to cry out to God that they needed help was even a gift from God. And what I'm trying to show us is what the New Testament clearly tells us. When it comes to us being saved, it is not by anything we've done, right? You are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. So that's why when God's saving Israel out of the wilderness, what's he do? He sends plagues to Pharaoh and to the nation of Egypt, right? To mess with them. They, they couldn't do anything. They, Israel on their best day couldn't have, couldn't have pulled that off. 
That was a supernatural thing done by God to save them. And then what's happens? Pharaoh goes, get out of here. Go, go. We don't want you anymore. And they get to the Red Sea about the time Pharaoh goes, actually, no, I want them to come back. That's a lot of slave labor we're missing all of a sudden, right? So he says, go get them. And they get stuck at the Red Sea and they can hear Pharaoh coming up on the nation of Israel to, to, to overtake them and take them back home, right? What's God do? Supernaturally, he does what he does. He bends the laws of what we currently call science, breaks all the laws of physics and a whole bunch of other laws I'm not smart enough to talk about, and he parts the Red Sea, right? So that they can walk through it. Again, salvation is a supernatural thing. It is simply an act of grace, right? Period. No balancing statements. They get through, and now we find in this story, they're on the other side of salvation. And what this story is going to show us and teach us, along with the rest of the scripture during this time period, is that grace is what gets you out of Egypt. Grace is what saves, but listen to me, faith is what gets you into the promised land. Getting saved is a gift. Being blessed by God is participatory. Do you understand that? And a lot of people don't understand that. And so what ends up happening is a lot of people in, in the church world settle for just being out of Egypt. Settle for, like, I just, want, I just want eternal security. I just want fire insurance. And then you go back to living like you lived when you were in Egypt. This is epidemic, at least in the American church. I see it all the time. It's people that go, I want Jesus to save me, but I don't want Jesus to lord over me. I want Jesus to save me, but I got more trust in myself to go to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm putting more trust in my business or my savvy or my entrepreneurial skills or my gift. I'm putting hope in that, not hope in God to be the one that takes me supernaturally to a place of blessing. And, and so we don't give much credibility to faith. The only problem with that is the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Do you hear that language? It's impossible. There's no other avenue to please God, to, to, to bring the blessings of God into your life, the, the land flowing with milk and honey, other than faith. And you know what faith is? It's an attitude of the heart. And this is why pessimism is a way bigger issue than people think. This is why negative thinking and a negative place in your heart is way more of an epidemic than people think because what it does is it destroys faith in our life. And so here's what God does. All right, I've just saved you. They were still in the early part of being saved and out in the wilderness. And God goes, listen, the land I'm going to give you, I promised to your forefather Abraham, it's called Canaan. It's, 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 it's as good as land gets on planet earth. And I want it for you, my people, because God wants good things for you. Whether you walked into any of our campuses this weekend and you believe that or not, I came to remind you on behalf of God that he has good things for you. No matter what you're living right now, no matter what you're thinking, no matter what life's handing to you, God is good and has good plans for you. And so he says, I want you to do this. I want you to get 12 leaders from Israel. And Israel was made up of 12 tribes of Israel, right? So get the top dogs in each tribe, and I want you to take them, and I want them to go for 40 days, and I want them to scout out the land. And here's where we pick up. This is Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore. This is recon, right? Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Did, no, we got to stop there. Did you hear that? Is that a promise from God? Did he say, I might give it to the Israelites? Or did he say, I am giving it to the Israelites? It's a covenant promise. Okay. So he says, go explore the land, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. Okay. Now, everything in life 
is going to be contested. Every God thing is going to be contested. And so many people, this is where attitude is everything. This is how you see life is everything, right? And what makes Joshua and Caleb, there's going to be 12 spies. We're going to read their names. Two of them, which are still famous to today. We're talking about them this weekend. They're going to have a good attitude. They're going to be optimistic about it. And it's not blind optimism. It's not earthly optimism. It's not self-help, self-actualization type mentality. You know what it is? It's we actually believed God when he said he's given us the land. And what the other 10 are going to do is not think about God's promise at all. They're just going to look at what they see. They're just going to look at the facts. And you know one of the the biggest curses of of pessimistic people is you're analytical and you just love facts. And listen, facts are important. Listen to me, facts matter. But facts without faith are destructive, not helpful. Facts that are devoid of faith will actually cause you to shrink back in fear and insecurity, not walk into the fullness of what God has for you. That's what this story is going to show us. Let's pick back up. Numbers 13, verse 3. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. Now, I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read the 12 names, okay, because these names matter. Ready? The first one is Shamu, I think. I'm not Hebrew. Shaphat or Shaphat. Pick your one. Either way, it's a weird name. Caleb, Igal, Hosea, whose name would turn into Joshua, which we will preach about all weekend. Palti, Gadiel, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, Guiel, or whatever that is. Again, sorry. And it goes on to say, these are the names of the men who sent to explore the land. Moses, it goes on to say, gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. And the reason I took some time out to read the names of the 12 spies is because I want to ask you a question real quick. And I want you to be honest at every campus because God's here. All right. Honesty only. How many of you have someone in your life? They don't even have to be close to you. Someone in your life or community. How many of you know someone named Shamua? And whales don't count. So don't put your hand up. We all know, right? How many of you know a Shaf hat or a Shaf hat? Some of you call people that, but you don't know one like birth certificate wise, right? How many of you know a Palti? Still no hands. How many of you know a Gadiel? Still no hands. How many of you know a Nobby? Wives, don't point at your husband and be like, he's been one all week. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Relationship series to come. New year. None of you do. None of us do, right? And can I tell you the names Caleb and Joshua? Raise your hand at all campuses if you know a Caleb. In any form or fashion. Raise your hand at all of our campuses again if you know a Joshua. Any form or fashion. There's nothing less Hebrew about Caleb and Joshua. We think those are American English names now, right? Those are as much Hebrew names and precious names as all the other ones we just read. Do you know the only reason that they sound American because we're so used to them? Is because of one word. Faith. That's it. The only thing that distinguished Joshua and Caleb, to the point where thousands of years later, we call our kids Joshua and Caleb. The only thing that distinguished them is attitude, how they saw the situation. Because guess what? The the, the story that we're about to continue to read, they all 12 see the exact same thing. And two of them come back with completely different conclusions than the other 10. And guess what? We still memorialize them to this day. You know why? In the kingdom of God, you need to understand this. Legacy comes from faith, nothing else. It doesn't come from having a bunch of money. 
That can pass on some nice things for, for a few generations, and that's great. And, and, and do your best to do that. That's, that's a responsible, great thing to do. But it doesn't come from all the stuff you have. It doesn't come from the cars you drive. It doesn't come from how awesome of a CEO or an entrepreneur or whatever it was you did. All of those things are great and godly in their proper place. But listen to me, the thing that transcends generation after generation after generation to where we call our kids these great Hebrew names here in America 4,000 years later is faith. That's it. And the Bible says this about faith in the New Testament, not Old Testament now. It says this in 2 Corinthians, we walk by faith, not by what? Sight. And we're gonna see that's what Joshua and Caleb do when the other 10 are going completely off facts and sight. Here's what Hebrews 11, one says. Now faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. What I love about Joshua and Caleb is the 10 other spies, they went in there to see if they could win a war. Caleb and Joshua went into the land to see how they were going to win the war. And that may sound like semantics, but do you understand how different that is? And the difference is Caleb and Joshua, and we don't get the detail about it, but it had to happen at some point, Moses, when he told the 12, hey, listen, God says he's given us this land. They must have took notes or wrote it in their journal or wrote it on their tablets of their heart. But at some point they said, well, if God's given it to us, I'm not going there to scout to see if we can win. I'm going there to do recon to see how we're going to win. And that's the type of recon we're still under the New Testament called to do. The only difference is now is we're not in national wars. Jesus' people aren't fighting national wars. I know sometimes America, we have to fight wars, but, but the, last, the last bit of blood that was supposed to be shed according to Jesus' people was on the cross 2,000 years ago. We're not people of war anymore. The war has been won. The punishment has been taken care of, right? We're people of grace and we're people of peace and we're people of mercy. We battle differently now. Ephesians 6 says, we don't battle anymore against flesh and blood. That was an old covenant thing to, to foreshadow the, the new covenant we'd be under. Now we battle against principalities and powers and rulers of the dark world. Below the surface, attitudes are everything to the battles that we walk through now. We don't wield swords anymore. Do you know what Ephesians 6 calls a sword now? The Bible. It calls it the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this is the thing that we use to do recon with. You understand this? This is our recon now. We don't go and scope out geographical land. We wake up every day and we get into this thing and we let God tell us not if we're going to win, how we're going to win. Because you understand all this thing is, is a book about victory. You know, we know the end of the story. And, and, and sometimes we got to go the long way to get there. But this is a book of endless promises. And for every problem you will ever walk through in this lifetime, pessimist, don't check out on me because you're trying to figure out all the ways I could be wrong. Listen to me by faith right now. Listen to me by faith. Every problem you'll ever walk through in life, and I'm not trying to make light of some of the problems you all walked in with this weekend, but every problem you're ever going to walk through in this lifetime, for every problem, God has a bigger promise. And I can't tell you the time frame, and I can't tell you the timetable, and I can't tell you God's sovereign design for how he's going to have a promise that's bigger than your problem. All I can tell you is I know the full story, and we win, which means we don't prepare for the worst and hope for the best. We prepare and expect the best and hope and prepare and expect for the best. And, and, and now when we see trouble and setbacks and problems, 
We still expect the best and we shoot for the best and we do more recon. Every morning we wake up, this is the difference between victory and no victory. Because you're gonna go into a world at work and at home and in relationships and friendships and extracurricular activities, you're gonna go into a world, a battleground. And this is the information you need to succeed, not what you see out there. That's what we have been given. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, I said it earlier, it's impossible to please God. Here's why. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And I think most of us at, at most campuses, we already believe God exists. It's probably one of the reasons you're here. But then listen to this. Not just that we believe he exists, but that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And what I want you to see in that passage of scripture is we cultivate faith, not by seeing things, but by seeking him. This isn't some like self-help, self-actualization. We could all go to Barnes and Noble and sit in the self-help section and read our way through victory and success. We don't just close our eyes and hope, God, give me more faith. God, make good things happen to me. That's not, that's never going to work for you. It's going to frustrate you. Do you know what we do? We don't close our eyes and hope for the best. We open our eyes and read for the best until more and more of the word of God is deep down buried on the inside of us, until more and more of God's character is shown here so it can be proven out there. And it doesn't happen overnight. You don't get battle tested overnight. It's one faithful morning after the other of waking up and saying, by God's grace, I'm gonna do recon again today to know how to walk into this issue with my wife. I'm gonna do a little more specific recon today to figure out how to deal with my unruly boss. I'm going to wake up and do a little more recon this morning so I can have the grace and the strength to one more day be fiscally responsible when my financial situation almost destroyed me and my family, and now I'm in the business of redemption. And one day after another day, after another morning, after another evening of faithful time in God's word, and before you know it, you're wielding a sword against the enemy. And when troubles come, your instinct isn't, we got a problem. It's no, no problems, just opportunities. That's what this thing literally does to the human heart. Your instincts start to change. Pessimists, cynics, skeptics, your, your first reflection, I'm starting to taste some of this. I got a long way to go, but I'm starting to taste some of this, and it's beautiful. Every now and then I'll be confronted with something really difficult, and I, I, and I stop for a minute, and I go, whoa, my first reflex was actually godly. I actually believed, okay, we're going to be all right. We're going to be fine. And I actually wasn't filled with anxiety and worry and fear. I actually walked through something the other day, and it didn't trigger the insecurity that a few years ago it would have ruined my week. That's the power of waking up daily. I love my wife. We have, you know, we have four kids and, and she does the real heavy lifting. I'm not going to lie. I'm just telling the truth and I need to be better. Sorry, honey. Sorry, honey. And uh, she's at home watching them right now. Enough said, right? But, but every morning, and she's not perfect because I don't want you to all think the pastors are all perfect and they float on clouds. We don't. But she wakes up as many times as she can in the morning, just about 30 minutes before the first kid does. And it's really early. <laughs> And she just goes downstairs and she just cracks this thing open and she just has some peaceful time with God. And you know what she's doing every morning? Recon. God, I got four kids. I'm, I'm going to recon how I'm going to win the day. Just God, give me something. Give me something. And every time his word, the prophet Isaiah says, it never returns void. 
Every time you by faith crack this open, no matter what you read, something is happening in the spiritual realm that is getting you closer to victory. Because this is recon. And this is what we do. You, you, you choose to do this. This doesn't impress God. This doesn't, this doesn't please God in the sense of like he's, he's checking in to see how much you read. God gave us this as a gift so that we could, every time you open this, you're sweating in preparation so that you bleed less in battle. And if you can see it that way, all of a sudden, instead of this thing becoming a to-do, it becomes a I want to. And when you get to that place with the word of God, it is a sweet spot And it starts to do things to the human heart that I want for every single person in our congregation. I've got to move on. Numbers 13, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and onto the hill country, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, fewer or many. Do you see what he's asking them to do? Get facts. Faith doesn't avoid facts. Facts are a part of it. Facts just don't have the last say. He says, find out what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are the trees in it? Are there any trees in it or not? He says, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And what, what I want us to see in that little portion right there is we're being taught that faith isn't ignorant. Faith isn't naivety to culture and to your surroundings. It's not just blindly being dumb and ignorant in the name of Jesus and acting like there's not real problems and difficulties in the world. No, go scout out the problems and difficulties in the world. Like you don't blindly marry someone just on a whim because you, God's got this, I love Jesus, he'll take. No, you need to see if she's crazy or not. (laughs) You put her through a few tests. She already knows you're crazy, but you need to at least, you know, see what level she's at, Right? Like we're called to to do our due diligence. That's not a bad thing in the kingdom of heaven. We're supposed to have counselors. We're supposed to have people advising us. We're supposed to look at culture. We should know culture better than anybody else. We should study psychology more than anybody else. It's a great thing to know the human experience and it's a great thing to know what's going on out there. But what you can't do is spend so much time knowing what's going on out there at the expense of this that when things aren't going good out there, you freak out. Facts matter, but not at the expense of faith. Right now, we're living in a political climate where everybody's just back and forth about facts, and are we not all exhausted by the most awful election in the history of America? Oh, my word. Exhausted, and everybody's back and forth, and everybody on either side, no matter where you're at in here, if the other side wins, we're done. Life's over. Doomsday skeptical, cynical, pessimistic about our future, right? And listen to me, I don't know America's future. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I can tell you this, in the midst of any climate of our country, we are called to be salt and we are called to be light and we are called to be good news in the midst of a bunch of bad news because that's what separates us from everybody else. We're not doomsday people. We're not fear mongers. We're people of light and people of hope and that doesn't mean because everything's going great. Bible says where where sin doth abound, that much more does grace abound. God's not pro-sin. God's not happy about sin. He's just better than it. He's just bigger than it. So he says, listen, when the climate of your country is at its all-time worst, there's going to be some problems practically, but spiritually you should rise up on the inside and go, let's go to war. I got the best news on planet earth and I'm about to penetrate this country with it. We have an opportunity right now to not be scared and not make all these grand statements about what's going to happen next. 
We need to be the people that, that shine through this time and go, listen, we, you, know, you guys are adults. You know what to do. Do your American duty. That's a good thing. I don't even want to talk about that. But what I can say our greater duty is, is the attitude of our heart through a really tumultuous time. It's a witness. And that's what God's kept us here for. He could just take us home. It'd be way easier and way better, but he doesn't. He's got us here for a reason. So look at the facts, study things, vet things, understand things about this world. That's great. But not if it's at the expense of knowing the heart and the character of your God. And you get that from this thing right here. And that's what Caleb and Joshua did. And band, you guys can go ahead and come on out. And I'm not going to read the rest for time's sake. I want you guys to have a homework assignment. I want you to go back and I want you to read the rest of the story. Because what ended up happening, and I'll just tell you Cliff Notes version for time's sake, is they all spent 40 days staring at how big the giants were. You, you'll, you'll read about it. They're, they're, they're giants, way bigger than us. It said we look like grasshoppers compared to them. They, and, and they literally say, I, and I quote, in our own eyes, we look like grasshoppers to them. We don't even know if that's true. That's just what they had convinced themselves of. But Joshua and Caleb came back and said, oh, we totally got this. Twelve guys see the exact same thing and have totally different conclusions. And the only thing that could be different was the promise God gave. Two of them leaned into it. And the other ten leaned into the facts. And that's what separates you and I from Canaan or Egypt. Here's another homework assignment. And if you're a part of our awesome life groups, you're actually going to talk about this. You're going to spend most of your time, not in Numbers 13, you're going to spend most of your time this week in Numbers 14, because when you go on to read Numbers 14 and you need to do this, it's pretty sad commentary, except for Caleb and Joshua, because you know what happens? It goes on to say that, that when the people came back and gave, gave a bad report about what they saw, except for Caleb and Joshua, that the place went nuts and they started to, to, to rebel. And you know what they said? Forget Moses. We want to find a leader who will, listen to this, this is one of the saddest statements in the Bible, who will lead us back to Egypt. Like we'd rather have shackles if it means safety than fruit if it means we got to have faith. Can I just tell you something? And when I learned this, it was a game changer as a, as a recovering pessimist. Some of you, you need to hear this. Pessimism takes as much energy as optimism. Faithlessness will take as much energy as faithfulness. Attitude is everything that you walk in. Why not put the, and if you're going to spend energy in your heart space, why not spend it on something that's going to bring you to a place of victory? And so many people, man, as soon as it gets tough, they just let the facts dictate their response. And what they end up saying is, you know what? I'm just going to choose the good old days, safety. I'll just, just, let's just go back to Egypt. And you know, you know what? They never went back to Egypt by God's grace because they were sealed in their salvation. God wouldn't let them go back to Egypt if they wanted to. They never went back to Egypt. But you know what? You know what chapter 14 goes on to say? It says, only Joshua and Caleb ever got to see of those guys, the promised land. All other 10, the last verse in chapter 14 says, died in the wilderness just roaming around for the rest of their life, saved in God's good grace and just roaming around, not fulfilling 
the promise that God had for him. It said Joshua and Caleb went into the promised land. Here's some good news for some of you who are a little bit older in your years right now. Do you know what it says in Deuteronomy? It says Caleb was 85 when he entered and it said was stronger than ever. Isn't that awesome? Do you know what that was? That was a reward for faith because God says he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's God's heart. He wants to reward you. He wants good things for you. But there's a participatory role that you and I have and that we are responsible for. And on my watch as one of your pastors, I want every single person to confront every single fear and insecurity and every doubt that you have right now about any situation you walked into any one of our campuses with. And I wanna ask you to believe again, to re-up on believing again. And some of you, you're scared because you said, you know what, for the last several years, we, we've been going through it and, and we, we gave God every ounce of faith that he gifted us with and we haven't been getting the answers we want. Can I just say something lovingly to you? God sent me here this weekend to say this to some of you, don't give up. Again, I can't tell you timetables. I can't give you formulas. All I can tell you that I know that I know that I know is God is good and he's got good things in store for you. Do not grow weary in doing well for at the proper time, the Bible says, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up, right? And this is, this is the fuel to persevere. This is your fuel. If there was, if there, again, if there was another type, I, I would tell you, when you get alone with God and you crack open his word and you let him talk to you and then you talk back to him or sing back to him, powerful things happen in the heavenly realms before they happen in the earthly realms and victory starts to take place. Listen to me, we're about to sing. And I say this all the time and I'm gonna say it again. When we sing, it is not a religious act. You know what happens when we're singing according to the scriptures? It's battle. Things start shifting in the heavenly realms when you start to declare the goodness and the greatness of God. It's good enough when you do it with your words, but when you attach words to malady, the heart rises up and says, I can live to fight another day. And we're about to sing, and it's again, not to fill time and space. You all got other things that you could do right now. We're about to stand at every campus, and we're about to sing. And I want to challenge you, if you walked into any of our doors and you said, I'm going through one of the hardest times of my life, would you just try, if I've earned any trust with you, would you just please do this? Would you just sing your way to some victory tonight and trust that God's going to give it? I know he is. I already know he is. Or I wouldn't be so bold, especially with your life. I, would, I wouldn't play games like that. And, and some of you, you're going, man, I'm in the land of milk and honey right now. And can I just tell you, I celebrate that with you. That's God's intent. That's what God wants. Like, it's amazing when Christians are, are, are prospering and other Christians get skeptical and judgmental and jealous. I'm like, that's what God wants for all of us. And they entered. Let's, celebrate. Let's learn from them. Let's celebrate it, right? But listen to me. If you're in one of those seasons of prosperity, could you do this this weekend? Could you sing for someone else you know that's not? Maybe it's a family member or a friend or a coworker. Could you stand and could you sing and say, we're going to do some battle? And by the time we're done this weekend, thousands of us in the Denver metro area are going to walk out with stronger hearts and we're going to be ready to take what we got on Sunday and actually do something with it on Monday where we're supposed to really be the church. That's why we're about to do what we're about to do. So if you'll stand, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing like we mean it, like we believe what we're saying. We're going to sing past our doubts. It may take a few minutes. That's okay. You're not disingenuous. Jesus paid it all for you. You're not disingenuous. If you're singing through doubts, enemy's going to tell you, well, you're fake because you're doubting. No, you keep singing. You watch. 
You keep singing. If you're having fears and insecurities, the enemy's going to tell you, stop singing. You haven't earned it. You're not worthy of those lyrics. You're like, I'm not, but Jesus made me worthy, and so I'm going to sing every one of them until my heart actually starts to change and believe it. And listen to me. It's going to happen. Heavenly Father, would you just blanket Red Rocks Church with your sweet presence, your healing, saving, helping, comforting, beautiful, life-transforming presence. We need you now, God. We need you now. We don't need another thing. We don't need another initiative. We need your supernatural power to come and to meet with us. So we just ask as your children, God, that you would graciously be with us in these next few minutes. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.